This week, I asked a patient in my office if he was partnered, and he said to me, what the hell do you mean by that? And I said, do you have a wife, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, or a mistress, or both? And he said, I have a wife and a mistress. I said, that's what I meant. Welcome to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show, the show where we educate men and women about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making relationships the best they can be. I am Maureen McGrath. I am your host of the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. It's great to be here with you, as always. I went on to ask that particular patient why he was there to see me, and he said, I have no idea why I'm here to see you. My doctor said, you need to go and see this woman. And I said, well, you're either here to see me with regard to your bladder health, your sexual health, or your relationship. And he said, I'm here for all three of those reasons. And one poignant aspect of that assessment that I did with this gentleman was that he had had a prostatectomy. So he had had prostate cancer and a few years prior had had radiation therapy for his prostate cancer. He was cancer-free today, but he had significant problems with urinary incontinence or leakage of urine, which is never normal, and also erectile dysfunction. What I wanted to tell you tonight was to give you a little bit of education about what's going to happen after you have treatment for your prostate cancer. You may be so stressed that you did not hear the doctor say this, or you may not understand why the doctor has given you a prescription for something like Viagra or Levitra or Cialis or Staxin because you thought your sexual health days were over. Well, they may not be. First of all, you're probably going to leak urine for some time, so be prepared for that. There are a lot of conservative measures that you can do, uh, can do, such as urge suppression or cutting down on bladder irritants like alcohol, chocolate, bubbly drinks, um, uh, alcohol, which I've already mentioned, which can be brutal, and beer is something that people find significantly um, caustic or toxic to their bladder because it is a diuretic, and so you'll actually be avoiding a whole lot more. So you may not be aware of just how much that urinary incontinence is going to affect your life. But there are a number of conservative measures, including the Elise TENS device, which is a pelvic floor exerciser, and many other aspects. As a nurse continence advisor, I treat many patients with that. But the one thing I really wanted to focus on was the erection problems. You will likely be given a prescription for Viagra, as I said, or Cialis, Levitra, Staxin, and you may think, hey, why are you giving me this? Or if your doctor does not give you that prescription, you need to ask for it. Because healthy sex is about blood flow at the, at the bottom line. And the Viagra and Levitra and Cialis, those medications are PDE5 inhibitors, and they increase circulation. They're vasodilators, and they will increase circulation to the vessels in your penis. And ultimately, the nerves in your penis, which are a part of getting an erection, will get oxygen to them, and that will also help to prevent any scar tissue. So that's why you need to take a daily low dose of a PDE5 inhibitor. Viagra, Cialis, Levitra, or Staxin. Also, you need to be psychologically aroused for these medications to work. That's very important. And they also only work in testosterone-rich environments. So having your testosterone level checked is also vital. They don't work initially. They, you need to take them five or six times for them to work, and that's any man, basically. So if you try one or two tablets and it doesn't work, that doesn't mean anything. You need to continue on. So to optimize the treatment, you need to take it for at least five to six times. 
So the other term you may or may not be aware of is penile rehabilitation. Now, I'm sure you've heard about physical rehabilitation and alcohol and drug rehabilitation, but there is something known in my world as penile rehabilitation, and that may involve a pellet into your urethra, an injection into your penis, and or a vacuum pump combined with the medication that I mentioned, the PDE5 inhibitors. So it's something to think about. It's very important that you deal with your erectile dysfunction issues, especially post-prostatectomy or any other time in your life. We're seeing very young men with erectile dysfunction today in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and that's related to smoking, obesity, the um, lifestyle that people are leading, which is sedentary. Uh, So be careful of that, but also know that there are treatments. And as always, the conservative measures like not smoking, exercising, eating a healthy diet, and having sex is also really important. And actually part of that penile rehabilitation is engaging in sex with yourself or with your partner. Anyway, that's enough about erectile dysfunction. When I come back, I'm going to be talking to two of the producers here, Jessica Garris and Claire Allen about their latest documentary on the escort industry. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath. I'm your host of the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. I am also a registered nurse and a sex therapist, and I was particularly interested in a documentary that was done here by two of our esteemed producers, Jessica Garris and Claire Allen, on the escort industry. They had their own perspective as they went out, uh, probably initially, and then learned a tremendous amount when they interviewed a number of people who were involved in this industry. From my perspective, I see these patients in my office who have been seeing escorts for a number of years, who are married and also have a mistress, who are young men, married for second or third time, a few children, baby seat in the back, car seat in the back of their Volvo station wagon, and picked up by the police because they were purchasing sex or um, seeking the services of an escort. Welcome to the studio, Jessica and Claire. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having us. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, Great documentary. It's a four-part series where you interviewed a number of different people, people who were involved in the escort industry, people who purchased uh, escort services, um, couples, in fact, which is not that uncommon, quite honestly. I've seen that as well, and, and professionals do this. But uh, it was a great series. So tell me, what prompted you to do a series like this, to investigate this? We wanted to look at the prevalence, how common it is in Vancouver, and it was actually Claire's idea for the series. Yeah, I uh, have all, I've been interested in this issue because uh, being in Vancouver, I've noticed the industry. I've seen little parts of it, but I didn't know how big it actually was. And I thought it would be an interesting and eye-opening experience for our listeners to talk to people that are involved in the sex industry, not just you know people that maybe write about it but have no experience, but the people that are actually uh, providing sex to customers or customers that are purchasing sex. And there are a lot of different ideas and social norms and mores and and values that we that we place upon this and perhaps judgment as well. Um, but you learned a tremendous amount, I'm sure. And and as you probably know now, that this industry is rampant in Vancouver and many other cities as well, not just Vancouver. And it happens behind the scenes. Street prostitution, you see it. 
you can you can see the workers standing out on the street corner. You can see the Johns maybe picking them up. But this is in the back pages. It's advertised online and it's done in people's homes or in hotels. So you don't see it. It's very much under the surface. That's and, right. And that, that's what's something that really interested us as well. Because when we spoke with Jane, she's one of the escorts. A lot of her clients are married and all of her clients wear suits. They're professionals. And you would never peg them as people who would pay for sex. See, I might because <laughs> because the the face of, a, of a head and neck cancer today is the 50-year-old male lawyer. Okay, and so, and even a lawyer was mentioned in your documentary as one of the people who was purchasing sex. And that's not to say that only lawyers purchase of sex. Of course not. No, but business, <laughs> you know how you get the flack back, though. <laughs> um, but professionals, as you say, purchase sex. And I think people think this is an industry where it's the dregs of society. It's the lower socioeconomic. They can't afford to purchase uh, sex from an escort person. And as you say, it's well hidden because it can happen in an hour in a hotel at three o'clock in the afternoon. Right. And that's what um, our the, our first subject of our, uh, one of the interviews, his name was Sam, and he is a uh, quote unquote pimp, although he would refer to himself as a handler. Um, and he said the busiest times for them are are like uh, Monday mornings and they don't work past 11 p.m. It totally blew my mind thinking about when these transactions were were happening. Sometimes as early as like 10 a.m. and uh, right in the middle of the day, like on uh, on someone's lunch hour. And, and when can they happen? They can happen when people are at work because then the partners or the wives or whomever believes the person to be at work and, and can contact them and, you know, text somebody and... And you work with a lot of men who have, as you say, mistresses or, or use escorts. Um, and I know you said it doesn't surprise you. Do you think their wives have any inkling that this is happening or do you think they're completely in the dark? I do believe that the wives and the partners and uh, girlfriends have an idea that this is happening. But denial is a drug and denial runs deep. And that was also mentioned in your documentary that uh, the heterosexual community, the couple community, just significantly denies that this is an issue. But we have, when we have sexually transmitted infections on the rise, when we have arrests happening for uh, people perhaps getting caught with an escort or purchasing sex, and of course the laws are change, have changed now um, in Canada. I don't know how they'll be implemented though. I think we'll probably see a city by city. So I'm interested to see those changes. Um, but I do believe that People want to uphold this appearance to the community, especially in the in the upper socioeconomic communities, which is where most of the affairs happen, like on Ashley Madison, the top cities that where um, the seeking married. Ashley Madison is a website where married people seek affairs. And the top ones were West Vancouver and Shaughnessy and Port Moody and Surrey and all of the upper socioeconomic. So I, I think people want to uphold this, we are the perfect couple, we are the perfect family, I don't want my in-laws to find out about it, I don't want my colleagues at work to find out about this, I want to keep our family intact, there's children involved, there's finances involved, when people split up, they lose half their income or half their assets sometimes, so. Well, the riffraff of society cannot afford these rates. I mean, the escorts that we spoke to charge at least $200 an hour. And if they go on a trip, uh, Jane was telling us that she was about to go to Miami 
all expenses paid. And she was on top of that going to be making $2,500. And Jane was quite happy with um, her her job, although she hid it from her family. That's mm. the thing. The double life is challenging for everyone because there's so much shame associated with this line of work and people look down upon it. So they wouldn't want their families to find out, their mothers, their fathers, their children. Their children. Mm. And it makes it almost impossible to have a relationship. Like you said, both people on both sides of the transaction, both people are hiding from from people in their life. So Jane's just as maybe maybe not as ashamed, but somewhat as ashamed as her customer in a way of of opening up to everyone in her life and saying, this is what I do. This is what I enjoy doing. Exactly. And of course, there's a double standard for sexuality between men and women as well. And it's okay for men to say they enjoy sex, but it's never okay for a woman to say she enjoys sex. Still in society to hear a woman say, you know, I have a great sexual appetite. And that's what we open the documentary with Jane saying, you know, I, I enjoy sex. I have a really healthy appetite. And I had a healthy, this is Jane speaking, not me, you know, and prior to doing this, she was saying that she had a really healthy appetite and, and would enjoy sex and would have multiple partners. And now she makes money for doing that. Exactly. And you know, the shame that, that living with that shame, according to research, men who cheat on their wives actually feel guilty. They feel remorse. And so they don't not only have their wife to consider, but they have their children, they have their brothers, they have their sisters, they have their ex-wives, they have their parents, their in-laws, their, their partners at work, you know, their colleagues at work. Um, so there's so many people that they are hiding from because if somebody found out that they purchased an hour's worth of sex at two o'clock in the afternoon when they're working for a company, supposed to be at work, they're supposed to be, or you're getting paid. You might be getting paid $300 an hour at your job and you're going out and doing that. I'd be pretty annoyed if I were the owner of that company. Oh, definitely. Or the partner of that person. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And these relationships are long-term. I see males in my practice who have they might be 70 80 years old and for their entire marriage they have been seeking the services of the escort industry Mm -hmm. and they have a wife and they've said things to me like well i can't do the things with my wife because i have too much respect for her and she's catholic that i can do with a an escort and and there was one aspect um i'm not sure which one i think it might have been jane who said some of these men can't do certain things because they believe their female partners will think they're gay. Oh yeah. That was Angie. That did come out. Angie. Yes. Yeah. And there's also some research to support that there are more heterosexual males who actually may be bisexual and lean toward that, what we perceive as homosexuality. So that's, you know, interesting that people can play out their sexual desires or their, um, ideas with somebody that they don't really know that well, although they get to know them over time, don't they? Well, they're regulars. They have regular clients that they see. um, Jane and Angie say they have a a group of regulars, and it's not uncommon for them to see only regulars in one week. Of course. I have heard men say that they had, you know, over 10 years had uh, been with the same escort, and whenever they would go into town, they they would phone her, and they got to know her. And it wasn't always about sex. It was about intimacy for some, especially after prostate cancer. It was just about laying on top of somebody, having that physical connection with a woman, but they got to know them. They would have dinner with them. And some even supported them going back to school and would buy them Christmas presents. Yeah, it was really interesting. I had, I think the biggest takeaway from me, for me from the entire documentary was, I believe it was Jane who said that these men that come to see me 
they're they don't want to be seen as a father or a provider or a husband like they want to just be seen as who they who they are and they just like they just want to be seen period and that really struck a chord with me because we do put roles on people and there is a lot of pressure in real life in any relationship you know when you start dealing with what happens in life like children bills houses everything relationships are complicated and that's what jane had kind of explained is that these men that are coming here just want to be themselves away from that all and i thought that was really interesting and when people would get mad about the the documentary because we did have some we had positive feedback and negative feedback i think that a lot of people didn't examine that little that soundbite that she said because at at the end of the day we all just want to be seen right we do we want to be authentic and we want to be genuine and we put a lot of pressure on men in society Mm -hmm. today men feel more the breadwinner it was interesting i put out a call about six months ago on on social media and i asked for males in their 40s who were balancing work and kids and relationships and and i heard from so many men who basically said that you know they are stressed they feel the pressure they have nobody to talk to about it they're not having sex with their wives and they were going outside of the relationship or wanted to go outside of the relationship none of them wanted to come on air <laughs> that's always the frustrating part except trying to get people to talk you know i i'm, I'm persistent and i've got three men who are going to come on air they're in their oh. 40s they have children they've been married a few times and they have older children, and they have younger children, and they're professionals, and they are articulate, and they want to speak. And most importantly, they have their wife's permission. Well, one of them has their wife's wow. permission. Um, but that was the other thing. I actually had a, a pretty prominent guy from back east, and he said, I'm perfect for this, Maureen, and, and I want to do it. And then he came back, and he said, my wife won't let me. And, you know, there's imbalance of power in all relationships, and there's sort of control issues between men and women. And, and I think that's damaging as well. And so I, I saw a lot of uh, perhaps control between, as these men emailed me, in particular the ones who were interested in the segment, but really wanted to talk or tell me about their lives. But it was very interesting that there was a, an, a control by the wife. We often think it's controlled by the man, but it's controlled by the women in a heterosexual couple. And, of course, this applies to uh, same-sex couples as well. And what about women? What about women trying to juggle trying to juggle kids and work? And we read so many articles about the females trying to be wonder women and doing it all. I mean, does this apply to them as well? I mean, have you reached out to women and, and heard from well, them? Well, you know, that's pretty well known. And I certainly yeah. talk to women all the time. And women are balancing a lot. And one thing they don't put on their plate is sex. That's the thing that gets sort of cast aside, right? That's right. And many couples that I see will not have had sex for 10, 12, 6 years, you know, even 8 months. Even you stop after a week, it's going to impact your relationship because men, biologically, men need sex. And as I say, if you are not having sex with your husband, somebody else is. And that's the takeaway from our series as well because Jane and Angie said they have regular clients. Uh, One is a judge here in British Columbia, and he hasn't been intimate with his wife in six years. All the judges are getting nervous out there right now. <laughs> I wonder who it is. <laughs> and but she also uh, she also said that there are these men do love their wives. It's not about love. It's the difference between sex and love. And and sometimes you can't. I guess you can't fulfill both things with one relationship. And that that was interesting as well. Um, I think, uh, I mean, it's sad. Jessica and I are both young. I'm not married, but Jessica is. And it was sort of a 
sad sort of future. (laughs) What does our future look like? It depressed me when they said 90% of their clients are married. I don't know if that's naive. I don't know. It it made me sad. It it is. It is that. And according to the John study, that is that those are the numbers. Absolutely. And sex has a, plays a huge role or lack of sex plays a huge role in that. We're going to come back and talk about that in a few minutes, but there is a big discrepancy between sex and love. And I, and I was spoken, I was speaking to a woman recently who uh, related to that. Anyway, when I return, what is the difference? between sex and love. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. We're talking sex and love, two of my favorite subjects here on the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and, and he said, you know, we're, we're talking politics and sex, two of my favorite subjects. Not in that order. Sex is number one. Sex is really important to men, but women don't seem to in my experience, according to my clinical practice, according to research, women don't have the same biological need or drive as men. And I'm not talking all women, of course. Jessica Garris and Claire Allen join me in the studio, and we're talking about their amazing documentary on the escort industry and who purchases sex. So thanks for staying with me here in the studio. Um, I was speaking to a woman. We were talking about the different desire needs for men and for women and how many men purchase sex versus women. And married men purchase sex. And then probably the number one reason is because they're not having sex in their relationship at home. And, and they need this. And so this is a way to stay in their relationship, basically. Women typically have extramarital affairs to leave a relationship. And men have extramarital affairs to stay in a relationship. And, and you know, you see they don't want to upset their apple cart. But I was talking to a woman recently. She was 42. She had a couple of kids. And I we were talking about this subject. And she said... Whoa, you know, since I've become a mother, I haven't really been able to be that sex goddess for my husband anymore. I've really lost that. I, I just feel like because I'm a mother and I'm now a nurturing role and giving and balancing all all of those balls in the air, you know, sex is really not uh, on the top of the order. And, and it really probably should be the relationship in a couple. But how do you get that back? Like, well, how it's, do you it's actually being overcome that feeling that you want to be a nurturer Instead of a sex goddess, as you say. It's, <laughs> well, that's the easy part. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just get a sex show. <laughs> um, you know, it's really being mindful. That's why education is so important, and especially this subject. That's why your documentary is so great. And, and I'm sure you could have done 20 more segments on it. Or, um, But it's being mindful. It's actually realizing, understanding men's biological drive and understanding the relationship to health. A a man said to me recently, uh, my doctor told me that, you know, asked me how many times I was having sex. And I said, well, I hadn't had it in a couple of weeks. And he said, that's not good. It's, It's healthy for you. But it's also healthy for women. You know, it's a pain reliever. It helps with sleep. It releases endorphins. And with women, we release oxytocin. And that's the bonding, the cuddling, that nurturing, you know, falling in love hormone. Whereas men release dopamine. And that is that excitement, that pleasure that I want to have that again and again, which is why more men are sex addicts than women. But women need to be mindful, need to realize the importance of, um, of sex. And I think if they understood who was having sex and you know, came off the denial drug, they might realize, hey, my partner is likely having purchasing sex. Well, we featured Ryan in our series as well, and he purchases sex with his wife. 
Yes. Now that was very interesting. It was, because we only heard from Ryan. Claire and I didn't get a chance to meet his wife. Which makes me wonder, is there really a wife? Okay, I have there to There is be- a wife. There <laughs> is, Did you check on there her? There is a wife. I looked into it. I looked into okay. their background. There is a wife. They're okay. in their late 20s. They're both university educated. They've been married for a couple of years. I did see pictures of their wedding. Like, I, you know, okay. I, did, I did verify that. I'm a cynic. <laughs> but, um, but it was interesting hearing from him because... Like I said, they've only been married a couple years, but they were already looking to spice things up. And he's very analytical by nature. They made a pro-con list before they engaged with escorts. Okay, what could this do to our marriage? Obviously, the biggest con, it could lead to divorce. And jealousy is a big factor for his wife, or in the past it had been a big factor in their relationship. And he said now that they're using escorts, the jealousy is improved. They can talk about things that they never would have been able to talk about before, and it's opened up their relationship. But I wonder how long they'll continue on that path and whether jealousy will rear its ugly head again. Yes, it may recur. And they bring that woman into their home. Is into that correct? Their home, That's yes. another big risk, yeah. basically. Um, and that could be a con for sure. And you know, people don't even think of the simple things, like bed bugs, for example. No, okay, that never really <laughs> for me, STDs is a big thing, and okay. anonymity. And you know, these escorts know their real name; they know where they live; they have everything on them. Blackmail is something else. I know that there are couples in this city, professionals that lure women in and try to have a basically have a threesome and they and they and they have the man lure a woman into the relationship and then eventually the woman comes in and says you know I'm involved in this too and and so that actually occurs and they have children they have parents they have lives they have jobs they're professionals but there is this desire to spice up the life there's a power imbalance in, in every relationship or power balance and we try to keep that and and women can be cunning and manipulative and and men can be overbearing, especially you know, well, financially controlling. So there's many different ways in that and that happens. And I found Ryan, because he was the only one who spoke in that interview, that perhaps he held the power there. I think so. And he said that they couldn't remember who came up with the idea sure. to bring Asperger's in. I we know it was that. Ryan. I know. I know. You can tell. I just think his wife was a little bit shy, but it's unfortunate because the narrative came across that he's very controlling and that this is all his idea and his wife is being coerced into doing this. Ryan also said that he would like to be open with his siblings and family about their activities. Um, which I found sort of surprising. Uh, but also, but he, then he said, the reason why I haven't disclosed any of this information is because my wife doesn't want to uh, to tell anyone. And also, Ryan also was the only person that gave us permission to use his real voice, but his wife insisted that we keep his identity a secret. So I think that she probably feels the taboo about this subject a lot more. Well, there's a couple of things there. You just have to wonder, you know, is narcissistic personality disorder, um, you know, there? and Or, you know, is he seeking this fame based on this? And then the other thing is, Really, sexual intimacy and activities, they're, they're a private matter. You know, to tell your in-laws, like, who talks about, uh, yeah. we well, don't... But you know what, Maureen? He tells his friends about his sex, according to him, about his sexual escapades. Well, that I his, that I understand, because men do speak amongst themselves about their sexual activity. about it, I guess. They do, they do. I've heard fathers say, I said to my son, have you had your first threesome? You know, I mean, so men have a different... Um, tolerance for uh, talking about sex. It's probably the only thing they talk about. 
probably. <laughs> but even uh, even his colleagues, he was saying, he enjoys telling his colleagues about it, and he has one female colleague that hasn't been sexually active in a while, and she lives vicariously through his stories. And that's a big risk as well, because as soon as he does something at work to annoy her, women speak. You know, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. There's a lot of, uh, of cons and risks involved in this um, industry for people. But there's such a dichotomy between the people who purchase sex and the people who sell sex. Would you say? Yeah. But they all relate on a very human level, yes. and which is what makes the human condition so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, the best things that uh, the, the greatest lesson you learned in this documentary? Just that it's more widespread than, than you might assume. And it could be the girl next to you on the bus who's working as an escort, or she might be purchasing sex. It could be your next door neighbor is running a, an in-call in their apartment. And it's, it's all around us. And I was surprised by the negative pushback. We got a lot of negative. You did. That's right. Yes. And and that was a a bit shocking. Some of our male listeners found it interesting, of course, but some of them brought Claire and I into it. Of course, because they wanted to get back at you because they don't want to be disclosed. They're feeling guilty or fear. Everything was just strange saying that we should be escorts. And if we wanted to do investigative journalism, that we should go out there and be an escort for a year and he would be our first client and, and just personalizing it with us. And it's interesting because if we were male producers that did this series, I wonder if the pushback would have been a, a similar. I, I, just, I think not. I think it yeah. would have been, you know, high-fiving. Yeah, and uh, exactly. A lot of women sort of, I, well, we got a couple of tweets from women who sort of felt betrayed by the fact that we did this documentary, that as women, we should not be talking about something that's so damaging. But the biggest takeaway I had from the documentary is that I don't think that this uh, this industry really does ruin marriages or relationships. Like, I, I mean, who knows if you're going like nuts and what <laughs> some crazy sex addict and you. But a lot of the men that we learned about through the escorts when they talked about their clients are just doing this to fulfill a need that is not being met at home. But they do love their significant other or their um, their spouse. And um, I found that to be really eye-opening. Like we talked about earlier, the difference between sex and love and that, you know, men and women are different and um, and that these people aren't out there to ruin marriages. They, they said they're not homewreckers. They're not in it to steal your husband away. And that was a really interesting eye-opening thing for me because I had always viewed them as like the other woman that's out there to poach the husband. Absolutely, definitely not no. the other woman. No, it's actually a, a, a job fulfilling mm-hmm. a, there's a gap in, um, you know, there's a niche market here mm-hmm. and more than a niche and, uh, and yes, absolutely fulfilling a need. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it can be anybody. The It can be the mom with the kindergarten kids or, you know, who is uh, selling these services. Someone doing their master's degree. A lot of the women are, are going to school and they're doing this to pay for school as well. That's right. And you see this um, in when the economy drops as well and when the jobs are few. Well, thank you both so much. I mean, we could go on and on and talk about this for a long time but uh, anyway I think it was great education and I do think we never will never know how to deal with a problem if we don't know what the problem is and this can be a problem this would be a problem for a lot of women who are married or in partnerships with these men who don't know about this and they're placing their lives at risk yeah and if anyone would like to listen to the episodes they're available on uh, CKNW SoundCloud on Jessica Guerra's On Demand so they're all there all excellent well great and I've also tweeted it at Back the Number 2 The Bedroom it's on my website www.backtothebedroom.ca on my Facebook page on my LinkedIn page oh, anyway for your support. <laughs> Thank you. oh you're welcome it's really important as you know I'm, I'm slightly interested in sex myself <laughs> <laughs>
All right. Uh, Great to talk to the two of you. When I come back, we're going to be talking a little bit more about that sexual desire. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath, the host of the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. If you've just joined us now, we talk about sex and health and relationships here on the show. I wanted to read an email to you that I received last week. Dear Maureen, for me, last week's show, my birthday, was so male-minded oriented that I would swear that someone had replaced you with a man. That might explain the hoarse voice, and I mean this in the most polite and complimentary way. How you compassionately told the sad story of the father not being in his son's life until he went to court. How so needlessly the mother and the system could possibly create socially dysfunctional adults. Thank you for telling us how you would like to see changes happen. I know you being who you are, you can make help others awaken to the reality of the long-term damage to a person who has been disordered in their childhood. You also know that guys love women to dress as feminine as or as close to the woman of the 50s as possible. That makes men want to be as manly as possible in order to be with them. It's often women who are that brings out who men are going and want to be. If you want your man to dress up on your nights out, dress in the style that you want your man to bring himself up to, and he will, in time, bring himself to the point that you will be prouder to be seen with him. And don't forget to show that you love him for doing so. When I see a woman in high heels, this guy listens to my show, a form-fitting dress, coiffed hair and makeup, it makes my manly parts tingle. Okay, well, thank you very much for your note. He does go on to add a uh, wish me a very happy and healthy new year. I wish that same for you. So maybe it's time to focus a little bit on the women uh, if we're being, if I've been a little male-centric in the last few shows. Um, But, you know, I try and I'm an equal opportunity radio host and try and share it amongst men and women because health and sex and relationships affect men and women alike. The problems may be a little bit different and may be perceived differently, but uh, nonetheless, there are issues. And as long as we're talking the taboo and making people a little bit more comfortable about it, hopefully you will seek the treatment that you need. Uh, So over to the women. We think of Viagra as associated with men. It's been around for over a decade now, and it has certainly revolutionized sex for men. Although, interestingly enough, only about 5% of prescriptions written to men are filled. So, And even with that, they have made so much money. But a daily dose of Viagra could help thousands of women with bladder problems, in particular interstitial cystitis. New research suggests that the anti-impotence drug, Viagra, for men also helps to ease the symptoms of bladder pain and interstitial cystitis Uh, which is a severe form of a bladder infection. Uh, The results of this study were published in the Journal of Urology, and it showed that women who took a low dose, which is 25 milligrams of the drug, the usual dose for male uh, impotence is 50 milligrams, so about half of a dose, every day for three months saw a significant improvement in symptoms compared with the placebo group. This is actually great news because interstitial cystitis is a very annoying problem for a number of women. It will also affect their sex lives because it's very difficult to have sex when you're in such significant pain. These women have pain when they're voiding or uh, when they're urinating. 
Uh, many of the cases of cystitis clear up on their own or with antibiotics, but th- this seems to be interstitial cystitis is um, comes and goes. It sort of uh, goes into remission, and then it exacerbates. Um, but it can turn into, if it doesn't resolve or um, on its own or get cleared up with antibiotics, it can turn into a painful long-term condition that's very difficult to treat. And there are really no treatment options for interstitial cystitis or the bladder pain syndrome. The condition is thought to be caused by messages from the bladder to the brain becoming all scrambled. And so when the bladder fills up with urine, it sends a signal to the brain, which in turn orders muscles to squeeze to release it. And in most people, the signals aren't sent until the bladder is almost full. But in interstitial cystitis, the signal to empty the bladder is sent quite frequently or when the bladder is not particularly full. So it also places high demands on your life. It'll affect your work life. It'll affect your social life because you're constantly going to the bathroom. And then when you go, the pain is very significant. So 90% of the people who suffer with interstitial interstitial cystitis are women. So as I said, the symptoms are frequent urination, severe pain when the bladder is full. A lot of people have to go on painkillers or narcotics to ease the the discomfort and and also try antibiotics, which can also alter your system and uh, expose you to or predispose you to yeast infections. So there's really no treatment for this. And so it's great to know that Viagra shows some Uh, potential in treating this. Obviously, more research needs to be done to add to the paucity of research that exists out there today. But anyway, this is very hopeful. In terms of a Viagra for women, a number of years ago, I worked on a research study, uh, the little pink pill, which was fulvanserin, although that was not approved by the FDA for women. There are 26 medications for men to treat their sexual dysfunction, and there are zero for women. And flibanserin, because it was not shown to be statistically significant in accordance with the male-dominated FDA and people who actually did not have a background in sexual dysfunction, uh, it was not approved. And so there's really precious little for women to do. And uh, sexual desire in women is very complex and it's complicated and it's it's not necessarily about one simple thing like it is for men which is blood flow anyway uh, it's a good idea to know this and to keep abreast of some of this research out there there's a lot more research being done on female sexual dysfunction and also sexual health so that's uh, great news there are some uh, you know there's always conservative measures one can do to help with their life drinking more water decreasing caffeine making sure you're not constipated will also help as well but uh, but if there is a, a pill that shows promise then that's always great news anyway when I come back we'll be wrapping up the show and I'll be telling you what's coming up in the new year I am Maureen McGrath You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath. Well, it's been a great year. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this year. I've learned so much from all of you, from your emails. You can always email me at sextalk at cknw.com. Uh, 2015 is looking to be a great year. I have a lot of great guests coming up. I am going to be speaking to three fathers who are trying to balance it all. We often think of the women 
with all the balls in the air, but you know, it affects the men too, and they don't necessarily talk about it. So after much ado, I have managed to recruit three men in their 40s, their fathers, they're working, they've got some older kids, they've got some new babies, they've got busy jobs and busy lives, they've got uh, sex lives or no sex lives. Uh, so they're going to be talking about uh, all of the issues and the balance and the balances that... Uh, the imbalance that may be going on in their lives and the struggles that they face. So that should be really interesting. I'm also going to be at the wellness show here in Vancouver on February 14th. I'll be on the health stage. Uh, It's going to be supported by Fresh Magazine. And I'll be speaking with Fiona Forbes and Lorna Vanderhag. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, This year, you may or may not know that I've been working on a book. So, uh, yes, maybe the title has something to do with all of you. So, (laughs) But uh, you'll have to wait till 2015 to uh, learn about that. Um, So I've got a lot of other speaking engagements coming up as well. You can always email me, sextalk at cknw.com, if there's something in particular that you would like to learn about. You can follow me on Twitter, at back, the number two, the bedroom. You can connect with me on LinkedIn if you like. I get a lot of comments about my postings and what uh, people wake up to in the morning, but uh, feel free. would love to have you on those discussions. I really think that 2015 is going to be a great year. And uh, hopefully this year you've learned a little bit about sexuality and sexual health and sex itself. Hopefully your sex lives are a bit better and your relationships have improved somewhat. I think it's an important subject to talk about sex because it is very taboo, but it's integral to the health of our lives and our relationships. It's it's important for health for both men and women. And um, anyway, so for 2015, I wish all of you the happiest, the healthiest, the sexiest year of your life. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you've been listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show.